Well, hello. It's good to see everybody. It's been a while. Hope things are going good. Yeah? Good? Not good? Yeah? Well, we're going to do uh, a few things a little different today. Um, but not to fear, not to fear. My name is Paul Stevens. I'm the executive director of Exodus.life, actually the pastor of Exodus.life. Uh, been a partner here with South City for a while and knowing Drew and Daryl and the crew for a while and pastoring for a while. And so I just love getting up and sharing with you on a Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day for that. Well, today, to start out to be a little bit different, you know, it's a little bit of a problem for me because I'm a little short, but I just love to get out in the crowd. And so you may have a little bit of trouble seeing me in the back, but I need to get out in the crowd today because I I was uh, telling Drew, I think it's time for us to take a test. Right? I mean, hey, we've been in Galatians for, you know, hey, we're halfway through the book, right? And so most of us have been here most of the Sundays. We won't go into that too far, but... But, uh, you know, the question would be, have you, what, what have you learned? What have you learned? And so, for example, Chuck. Chuck Chuck's my buddy. He and I work together, so I knew I could pick on him. What, what book are we studying, Chuck? <laughs> I was on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it comes natural. I've been teaching so many years. I just automatically gravitate to somebody on their phone. It's just... What, now, you're an elder, right? I don't know. Yeah. So you're like, you know, Bible brain power. Oh, dear. So what book are we studying? That's really good. Woo-hoo. And that was, book was written by? Paul. Amazing. Oh. Drew, they're listening. They're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and so you know, what have we been talking about? For example, there's, there's some good guys and bad guys in the book, right? Okay, who are the bad guys? Somebody just pop it out. Yeah. The, the false brothers? They're called Judaizers. Bad. And who are the good guys? Paul and Barnabas. Right. Right. And so uh, what were the bad guys doing that made the good guys so unhappy? Yeah, what? Not me, Bubba. Yeah, so, so what are they saying? They're saying we have to be circumcised, but so what are they talking about? Do what? Adding something to salvation. How'd Paul feel about that? Not much. Not much. Not much. And so what's been Paul's response to that? What's this been his argument? Yes, sir. I'm sorry? He sent a letter. That's exactly what he did. And, and what did he say in the letter about the bad people? He said he wishes they went all the way. <laughs> yeah. They could go ahead and emasculate themselves. That'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and he kind of made it clear he didn't agree with them, right? I don't care if it's me or an angel from heaven. Preach you a different gospel than when I preach to you. Let them be cursed. That's pretty tough stuff, right? And instead, then, Paul goes on to demonstrate the error, right? And so they're saying you've got to add something to salvation. What's Paul's argument? What's he saying we have, that how we're saved? Not 
By faith. And so, and so what are you saying? We just, you know, just believe and zzz, we're saved? Really? I don't have to do nothing? Really? Yeah. That's a lot of difference from what those other dudes are saying. Huh. So we're justified by faith. What does that mean? What's it mean, justified? Made right. Made right. Oh, okay. All right. So we're made, made right how? I mean, do I get to be taller? Oh, you're talking about uh, behavior stuff. Okay. And so we go from unrighteous, separated from God, aliens and strangers, dead in our sins and transgressions, all those Bible verses, and then based simply on an act of faith, we're made right with God. But the Judaizers were saying... Something different, right? Okay, I'm going to let you redeem yourself here, Dean. So, so kind of tell me a little bit more about what the Judaizers were trying to say. They were wanting to add to justification by works and their history that they had been taught. They thought they were doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand what Jesus offers in grace and faith. For the justification part of right. what he's done for us. Right. And so they were saying, um, yeah, you got to be circumcised. Pass. They were saying, oh, you need to observe the Sabbath. Keep the law. Keep the law. Okay. I mean, you know, you want to do what's right, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and if you don't do those things, then what was the consequence? Wonder. I mean, I use imagination here because Paul doesn't exactly tell us, but what do they seem to be saying that if if I believe, but I don't do these extra things, then what's up? You're not really a believer or a Christian. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not right with God anymore, and I don't have access to Him anymore, and I'm back to being an alien and a stranger and dead in my sins and and all that bad stuff. Hmm. Big difference, right? Okay, so, so what was the other big thing they were arguing about? So these guys come down from Jerusalem, right? And, and they're, they're playing uh, the big deal. I'm a big deal. I'm a big deal because I'm from Jerusalem. And I know the apostles, the real apostles, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I was, talking, I was talking to James and Peter just the other day. I said, man, isn't it great? We keep the Sabbath. Man, aren't we special? And so they're trying to big deal it, right? And so the other argument then is about who has authority here. Right? Y'all remember that part? Were you there that Sunday? Yeah? Okay, so... They said, well, we, we're sent from Jerusalem, and we know the real apostles, and he's just, you know, kind of this guy. And what's Paul's response to that? Does anybody remember? He says, I wasn't given authority by man, I was given by God. Right on, brother. He said, you know what? 
I'm so glad you came from Jerusalem, but I really don't care what they think. Because Jesus, who is bigger than all of us, told me to come and say this. And so here I am. I'm saying it. And they're wrong. And this is what's correct. You know, when uh, Drew first told us we were going to study Galatians, I kind of went, hmm. And, and because it's, a, it's real heavy, theolo- not heavy, but it's a, a very clear theological book. I mean, he's, Paul's really after some theological principles. But it's important for us to realize that those theological principles are so critical because they have such a direct impact on how we should behave and how we should live and what our expectations can be as we do behave and live in, in the way the theology has talked about. And so it's real important to get real practical. And that's what I want to try to do today is to get real practical about what all this means. What does it mean? What are the implications of being justified by faith? What are the implications of saying, I can't add anything to my salvation, and, and so God loves me just like I am no matter what? That's kind of a stunning statement, isn't it? I'm, I mean, I don't like me very much. Well, sometimes. And yet God loves me just like this? I don't have to, like, work or... I mean, it's counterintuitive to the way that we would want to approach life. So we're going to be in... uh, Wake up, iPad. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. If you want to, if you've got a Bible, turn to it. Hope you have better luck finding it than I'm having right now. And we've got a pretty long section of Scripture, and I'm going to make a confession to you. Uh, I'm not going to cover a good bit of it. I'm really going to concentrate on the early verses. But because of that, uh, what I'd like to do is, is, is go ahead and let's read this section and kind of get tuned in with where we're at in the book. And so uh, Galatians 4, verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature who are not God's. But now that you have become, that now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored in vain over you. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a body, bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good, good purpose. And uh, for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children. Whoops, I'm skipping a line there. They wanted to shut you out and that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. 
And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And I want to concentrate uh, a good bit of our time on these first few verses. And so Paul talks out, starts out, and he's saying, I, I can't believe this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. And, but, but you're basically going back and becoming enslaved again to the very same gods who weren't gods in the first place that you were. Now, let's pick that apart a little bit. So, were we enslaved? And by the way, you, can, you get to talk back. This is, this is, the dialogue continues, right? And so, if you have an answer, you know, verbalize it, okay? So, were you enslaved to gods? What gods were you enslaved to? Money. Entertainment. Idolatry. Flesh. Approval. Performance. Pride. We had them, didn't we? Now, how did that happen? How did, how did, you, get, how did you get all tangled up with those lies, those gods who aren't gods? What happened? Adam fell. I went around the corner and they snatched me up. Think about it for a second. I mean, Adam fell. We know that set everything up. But how did it happen to you? Didn't put God first. Born into it. You know, you know I think the key to it, we've got needs. Have you noticed that? I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden had needs, but they were, were how were their needs met? God met them. And then they fell, and God goes, you're out. Now who's meeting them? They're on their own, right? Now let's talk about those needs a little bit. What, what needs did they have? Food. Relationships, shelter. Had a need, they had a need to be loved, right? To have a sense of companionship. God looked at Adam and said, you know, you're good, but it's not good for you to be alone. No, you need her to look after you and help because you need help. Right? And so companionship, help, support. Adam and Eve were told, you see this garden, it's yours. They had purpose, and it was a noble purpose, and it had meaning and worth and value. We had a significance in the fact that we were created in God's image, and now we were tasked by God to do this noble thing, and we were doing it together and in relationship. Now, a lot of that's not only true, but it's metaphorical. Can you see the, what those images stand for in us? And so when we were born, when you were born, whether you realize it or not, 
in you is this longing for more, for nobility, for purpose, for meaning. It was okay to be just one person among many, but why am I here? Why did God, what purpose does God have for me, right? Don't we all ask those questions? I mean, I have to tell you, John, I did not spend a lot of questions, time spending, God, what did you make John for? I really wasn't too worried about you. He's my nephew, so I was around him. He's, he was short then. I liked him better. He's short. No, we're born as, by definition as human beings with a sense of uh, an echo of the destiny of what God created man for in the beginning. But in order for us to fulfill that destiny, we had to be connected to our creator. And when Adam got the boot, when we got the boot... We became disconnected from the Creator. So the longing and the desires are still there and they're real. We may not recognize them as such. We certainly as a culture don't talk about them the way I'm talking about them right now. But the reality is they're there. And, and we have no power. So what do we do? We replace. We replace. We, we long, and in our longing, we dream. In our dreams, we begin to consider what might be. And, when, and, and the things we start dreaming of is a longing to be for perfection. If I could just do, if I could, maybe if I can just do everything just right and I can keep everything, you know, leveled and moving down the road and stay in my groove, then maybe everything will work out. Or, or, or maybe if I can find the right, the right guy, if I could just find a husband that was a husband who would love me just like I am and give his life to me, maybe together we could make it and be happy. Do you see what we do? We, we, begin to, we, begin to, we begin to strategize. We begin to think, okay, you know, if, maybe if I made enough money. I'm going to tell you what, I'm a, I'm a, I was born broke, but I ain't dying broke. Right? So if I got enough money, then I can get enough power, then I can get the things that I want, and I'll feel better, and I'll feel good, and life will have meaning. And that's what I want is I want it to mean something. I want to do something. I want to be something. I want to be someone. And so we, we, we begin to strategize. And as we strategize, then we work at it. And for a lot of us, what we discover is nothing works. Nothing works. We get married and we go, <gasps> or she goes, <gasps> Maybe you do it together. 
So we get married, we get married and relationships doesn't work. We try to make friends. We have lots of friends. We get real popular and that doesn't work. And so we try to do everything perfect and we really can't, but we act like we can. So everybody will think we do. And, and, but we're always afraid we're going to fail and, and everybody's going to know. And we try to be famous. I keep trying to be famous. I get up here and I want y'all to just love me and adore me and worship me, right? And you don't. I just don't know why that is. Drew doesn't do that. That's why he's preaching and I'm just up here once in a while. But we, we, we find these strategies and we begin to use them to replace the power of God to bring about the deep results that we long for and created for and we are implacable and relentless in trying to get those deeds met. Even though we may look like Susie Q. And when that doesn't work, we seek out comfort and we have a whole new God and a whole new set of gods. And so I can't find the fulfillment. I'm chasing it, but I'm not there yet or whatever the explanation is. And so in the meantime, I look for uh, comfort and I find comfort maybe in the arms of women or maybe in the arms of men or in drugs or in gambling or I find comfort when I win so I want to win all the time or I find comfort when I my job when you admire my job or I, but I'm always looking for something to replace the empty stuff back behind me and I become secretly terrified that I'm never going to find it that I'm always going to fail, that I'm always going to be rejected, that I'm always going to be alone, that I'm never going to reach my potential. Was I talking about me? I mean us. And so I'm, I'm enslaved, and these are elementary principles. Can you see it now? These are basic elementary principles. I, you know, I used to be convinced that there were like demons running around with my name ready to zap me. And I, hey, it may be true. I'm not saying it's not true. But they're not my big problem. I'm my big problem. I'm my big problem. So I can take a day off, I still got a problem. And so beginning to recognize that the fun, the thrills, the entertainment, pretty soon it becomes clear that our attempt to camouflage and hide our insanity with a gloss of acceptable behavior, socially acceptable behavior. So I'm looking like everybody else looks, and maybe I'm standing out, but in a good way, but not too much. And I'm at church, and I'm in the South, so I'm at church a lot. And, and so we're, I'm doing all those things because I want to look normal. Right? Because normal people are happy. Man, I want to look like I'm happy. Of course, I'm not happy. I want to look that way. And so now I become enslaved to the pretense of life instead of to the substance of life. And I get good at it. I get really good at it. Or, and y'all all know people like this, I just give up. I'm depressed. Do you know the suicide rate among men 25 to 50 has blown the top off the mortality rates to the point that it's dragging the whole country's mortality rates down? 
Who would have thought that? You know how they're dying? Liver disease. Drink too much. Substance abuse. Heroin. Drugs. Uh, and suicide. And you know what that is? As a nation, as a culture, we come face to face with life and we have no answers. Because we are serving gods who are no gods. We're, we're seeking fulfillment and power and purpose from places that do not have the ability to give it to us. And, and a lot of us have, are, have, are doing that and we've been doing it so long we don't even know that we're doing it. We're just living. We're just reacting to life without a clue. And so Paul's going, okay, it, well, it's like C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, you know, you're, you're, you're out in the courtyard eating mud pies when you could be feasting with a king inside. And so Galatians, you, you, you idiots, you, you're reconciled to the God of the universe the God of the universe has committed to, not, it's not just that you know him. He knows who you are. You know, it's a big deal. You, you go out to a, a, a function and the governor comes in and Asa comes up and says, hey, Paul, how are you? Everybody goes, yeah, I'm somebody. Well, what about when Jesus Christ says, hey, John, man, I'm proud of you. And so now you are known by God. But even though you're known by God, even though you've got access, the same access that Adam and Eve died without, you've got access to God and to the power of God and to the love of God and to the strength of God to deal with your life, you're going to go back and try to observe the Sabbath? So, what? Y'all see how crazy it is? And you know what? It's that crazy when we do that. It's that crazy, and we do do it. So stop and think for a minute. This won't be new. Just what? I'm going to have to come back down here. It's really vanity. I can't help it. What did we get? What did you get when God reconciled you to him? What did you receive? Hmm? Love. Okay, let's talk about that in a minute. What kind of love? Unconditional love from the most loving creature in the universe. Uh, duh. What else? Got life. In what way? I'm not dead. I was going to hell. And you know what I've discovered? As I got a little older, I can feel it coming. It's relentless. And now, I'm promised the resurrection of the dead. I'm promised a new body. What else we get? Peace. In his, in his flesh, Christ made peace 
between us and Christ. What else we get? Freedom. Freedom. Woo! Woo! I ain't lying. I got, I got so tired of being the guy that couldn't, could, that as soon as somebody made a rule, I broke it. Anybody else like that? Don't do that. Oh, no, I won't. I'm free. And, and so this is what, what we've been talking about. God, when he did the work through Christ that he did, he justified us. He declared us not guilty. And he gave us credit for Jesus' righteousness. Do you know what that means? That means that when Christ is interacting and dealing with you, when God is interacting and dealing with you, he's dealing with you as if you're perfect. Hot dog. That's amazing. That is amazing. And so I get my sins forgiven. I get credited for Christ's righteousness. I have the commitment of the love of the most powerful creature in the universe. I have access to all the power I need. And so in, in, in Ephesians, Paul tells us, you know what? You have access to every spiritual blessing under the heavenly realms. Paul tells us in Romans, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're told over and over and over again of the freedom we have from shame, from guilt, from the, the pressure of performance from the pressure and the fear of being alone and rejected. All the deep things that we need are made available to us. So why would we go chasing after something else to make ourselves feel better? Make sense? Sure it does. But that is kind of a good question, isn't it? So I know all those things are true. But did I mention vanity a while ago? I really like to be liked and to be admired. Even though I shouldn't need to be because... And, and you know, I, I, I got to tell you, I hate messing up. I mean, I like to do things well. I like to do things with excellence. And if you're criticizing me, I'm probably not too happy about it. I need, there's a need, there's still a part of me that needs to perform, that needs approval, that needs confirmation and affirmation. And so the fact and the truth of my position has got to somehow become here, right? I've got, I've got to, I know the things that I've been talking about are true, but do I operate in my life as if I, I believe it's true? Does that make sense? And so it's like saying, oh yeah, I love you. Sometimes my actions are not consistent with my knowledge. And so bringing my behavior into line with my understanding is a problem. It's a problem for all of us.
So Paul establishes that we were slaves to gods who were no gods, to basic elementary principles. And he's saying for you to go back and add on to the gospel is to adopt those principles, those gods once again, and you got to be nuts. You're just crazy. You just, instead, and what he goes on in our next section of verses in, in uh, 10 through 11 is he goes on to say, you need to be like me, be free. I'm free, be free. You, just need, you need to let go of all this craziness. And it makes me worried about you. I'm concerned for you. And he says, you know, you need to understand who loves you. I, I had a pastor, my first pastor, who had a wandering eye. Y'all know what I mean? And so, like, he'd be looking at you, but he'd also be looking at you. You know what I'm saying? And so, when, when you'd sit in a counseling session with him, he'd be at his desk, and you'd be sitting in a chair by his desk, and he'd be reading and looking at you at the same time. It was really weird. It's really weird. Really weird. But he told me one day, he said, Paul, you know who loves you? People tell you the truth you don't want to hear. That's who loves you. And Paul in this next section is going, what is the deal? You guys cared about me so much. You took care of me. I was a burden. And still, you, you met me more than halfway and let me preach the gospel to you. And God did wonderful things. And now that I'm telling you the truth, so, so you know, what am I, chopped liver? Okay? I thought we were friends. And the idea being is, hey, I love you. I'm speaking to you this way because I care about you. And, and you know what's really interesting when you, when you look at it? The Judaizers, I mean, they probably didn't sit up there in Jerusalem and go, oh, how can we destroy the gospel? Do you think that's what they did? No, they were probably coming down because, because they, they wanted the rules to be followed because they thought that was how you got life. And they wanted people to have life. And he, they felt like Paul's out there misleading everybody. So we're just going to go, we're going to go help. And so they were enslaved to the gods that Paul was just talking about. They showed their slavery by their very act of coming down there and working with them uh, over, over these issues and over the gospel. And Paul just goes, you know what? It's just, it's just nuts. And so they want to make something big out of themselves keep you away from me, so then you'll make something big out of them. And so y'all can all go have a mutual worship society, and you're going to go to hell together. I hope you enjoy it. Sounds like a church split, doesn't it? So I started out saying, this is, this is a, a, a clear theological treatise in Galatians, but we need to be able to apply it practically. And, and so I want to take a couple more minutes and do that. How you apply the theology so you know the truth, you're aware of it, now you begin to apply the truth and become, be, as James said in our last series, be doers, not hearers only. Translating information into change is hard work. It doesn't come with a package deal. What we're not promised is, so, uh, Daryl, you have faith in Christ, you'll be saved, and I'm going to give you credit 
for Christ's righteousness, but it didn't say anything about giving you automatic holiness, did I? All right, and so do y'all see the problem that creates? Think about it. You spent your whole life trying to find these substitutes, right? You spent your whole life dreaming dreams that you thought would bring you worth and value. You spent your whole life learning to rely on entertainment to keep the pain away. You spent your whole life uh, learning how to cultivate people's approval and just being a yes person. Uh-huh, yeah, great. Oh, sure, I, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. Or a perfectionist, demanding the standards. You spent your whole life developing patterns and habits of behavior to please the gods you had chosen to serve. And guess what? Faith in Christ doesn't stop that. Dead gum. And so now we've got a new problem. Just what I needed. Another problem. Now I know what's right and I can't do it. Now I see the things that I should do, but they don't come naturally. And so I have to begin, and this is where the church, I think, fails. I've got to not only learn the truth, but somebody's got to think and teach me how to live it. And so, quick cussing means no unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth. You're not impressing anybody because you know that many four-letter words and you put them together that eloquently. I mean, I know people made an art out of it, right? I mean, seriously. But you begin to understand that it's the, the, the things that you're seeking to experience are fulfilled as you begin to follow the, the teachings of the Savior. And as I've mentioned before, you want, you're not really human, sorry. You got the title, but, but Christ revealed what true humanity is. When he came and he lived among us as a servant without the need for approval, not driven by the need for perfection, concerned with the interests of other people, working for the welfare of all. Humanity is by definition servanthood. And we're not. And so we have to work at becoming that. Now we know all that, right? But let me ask you a more pointed question. How do you change? You see what you're like. You know it's not the way you need to be. How are you going to change that? Submission. Through Christ. I'd say those are both right. What's that mean? Christ has to do it, right? Somebody said something back there? Make a choice every day. I'll make the wrong one every day. I'm, I'm teasing. But, but you're right, it is a choice, a decision. We've got God's Spirit in us, so we've got help. Spirit changes our heart and desire to God's heart and desires. 
Change is possible, but it requires intentionality and work. Now tell me, there were, you know, those old gods, and now there's the God. What's the most important thing in your life right now? The most important thing to you? Ministry? Church? Work? Retirement? Which uh, gets to be alive another day. What's important to you? I mean, when you look at your time, when you look at your effort and the things you think about and concentrate on, what's really important to you? If we looked at your checkbook, I had a church want to do that one time. Bad idea. But if we did, what we see? Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, I'm just going, hey, let's be real here. Is getting better the most important thing to me in my whole life or not? Is becoming holy what's really important to me? Or is it just surviving day to day and looking normal like Susie Q? That's a song. What's important to you? Are you filling your mind and your life with solutions to other people's problems that you could not possibly impact at all, like your kids? Uh. Are you spending your time and your mind and your energy and your emotions determined to be in the presence of God, begging him to please, God, change me. Let me become what I feel inside I could be. I feel this potential. I feel this sense of, of nobility and capacity, and I can't touch it. I can't reach it. I'm 63 years old. I thought I would be grown up by now. You've heard me say that. I'm not. I'm really tired of it. God, please let me find the peace and the fulfillment, the secret to contentment. Let me, let me find the ability to love my enemies. Let me, let me find my, my ability to use my gifts and to understand and get rid of the stupid, overweening pride and arrogance that just drives me and everybody that knows me crazy. God, help me be better. Is that what characterizes your life? How many of you, let me, let me, let me just seriously raise your hands. How's my, how's my time? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> How many of you have actually gone out and spent a day in prayer? Actually gone out with Bibles, maybe some worship music, got by yourself, and it's just you and God all day long. None of us do that. I want to tell you something. You, you want to be changed? You want to be transformed? Then let's do a prayer retreat. Come on. I've done it. I'll show you how to do it. It's easy. It ain't, it ain't that bad. We'll start out. We'll do a half day first, and then we can do a full day later. It's easy because you're designed to be with him. We just don't work at it. Amen? How would it change your life if you did a half day or a day in prayer once a month 
every, every month next year. So I'm over here, and I'm a slave to other people's approval. And so I, don't have, I have no boundaries at all. I have some, but not much. I have no boundaries. And so I'm going, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And you're just working me to death, right? How, what am I going to do about that? I can't stop it. Or say you're an addict and you're fighting substances. And so you work and you work and you work. And then you deserve a break today. Come on, let me have that 12 pack. And here I go. Or whatever. Let me tell you, the way to solve that problem that seems so uh, beyond your reach, just go be with Jesus. Now, he, it's not going to fix it, but it'll be, it'll be the next step, I can guarantee you. It'll be the next step. So, beginning to recognize that this change where I'm moving allegiance from gods who are no gods to the God who is God, what that means is that pursuing intimacy with God, personal intimacy with God, is the most important thing in my life. Now, how do you do that? What is it, when, when I say intimacy with God, what in the world does that mean? I think it's the elder's turn, don't y'all? What's that mean, D? Here you are. Practicing the presence is a great book. Practicing the presence of God. Creating time for focusing on God. Watching for God to see where he's working and when he's working. Being aware of, attentive to, thinking about. Now I want to tell you, I can get up, hit the floor at 6.30 in the morning, and I go from one problem and solution to a million others the whole day. And if I don't work at it, I won't think about Jesus one time. I guess that means it's not the most important thing in my life. I'll give you a second tip how to do this. So you pursue an intimacy with God. The second one is be transparent. Be who you are. Be honest. Did you, do you realize that a whole lot of our guardedness is really dishonesty and deception? And so taking on the position where you're willing, I'm, I'm not saying go hang your dirty laundry out everywhere and stink up the place, but at least be willing to be real about who you are. And if you are and you do that, then when you go to small group, everybody won't just sit around looking at the ceiling trying to figure out what to say. Because if you'll be real and he'll be real, then together we'll be real and we'll have some real conversations about God. And God will use you to teach me things. But if I'm never with you as a believer, other than Sunday morning for 15 minutes, going, hi, how are you? Good morning. What's that? But I want to tell you, if I'm in group with D, iron sharpens iron. He's going to challenge me. And so, and so God has provided us each other, not as a, oh, oh, let's be sweet and loving, but as a vital, critical component to getting to know him. He teaches us through each other. Did you know that? Say amen if you know that. I mean, I mean, that's the way it works. And if we do that, we'll experience God in a new way. And if we don't, we won't. And so then we're left to those old patterns and habits. You see where I'm going? It's not that complicated, is it? It's just so daggum hard. I don't know why. Third thing, be willing to engage in close quarters. 
What do you think I mean by that? Be willing to engage in close quarters. Allow people in your life. Somebody else had a hand up. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's right. When, commit to people. And so um, you, you, see a, you see a mess or somebody who is a mess. Hi, my name is Mess. You know them. Some of you. Chuck, you may think I'm your mess. I don't know. <laughs> when you see a mess, do you... <laughs> We're good at it, aren't we? Or do you step forward and go, Golly, wow. I wonder what God's doing. You step forward or you step back? Do you get involved when, you, when someone less than mature or new in the faith is screwing up, pardon my language, royally? And so do you get in and go, whoa, 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 whoa. let's talk about this. And get involved with each other beyond the superficial. See, that's the thing that kills us. We, we have taught ourselves for, I don't know how many hundred years, to come to church, to smile, to look as much like Jesus as we can imitate and not connect and not tell the truth and not be a part of each other's life and not really help each other and then go home and wonder why we don't live out our faith Monday through Saturday. Paul's going, you're crazy, that's why. You're nuts. Yeah, Chuck, Chuck said that's why Jesus told the disciples to disciple and fellowship with each other. Can you tell I'm on my wife's iPad? Because I couldn't find my iPad. Because I'm not perfect. I'm so ashamed. Finally, and I'm going to close with this, and I know you'll be so glad. Finally, there's a real clear command in Scripture that's key to all of this. You, yeah, you want to you wanna be pursuing God. Most important thing in your life. Yeah, you need to be honest and transparent. Yeah, you've got to engage at a, at a close level. But key to all of this is be filled. Y'all remember that verse? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Daryl, how do I do that? Uh, I'm filled by the Spirit when I surrender my life to God and salvation. I'm filled with the Spirit when I'm around God's people or His family community. I'm filled by the Spirit at the time of invitation. And so all the things we've been talking about, it just so happens 
that by engaging closely, by pursuing God fully with all of your heart, by being willing to be uh, intimate and open and honest, and doing that as a sincere pattern of your life, you are filling yourselves. You're going to the fountain and you're drinking of the Spirit. It's not that the Spirit's not already in you. We, we all know that theology. But we're saying, no, what you need to do is be in touch. I can't tell you how many times in my life, and sometimes for years, I felt distanced from God. Anybody ever felt that? It's just like, where are you, man? <laughs> you know who was distanced? I'd run like a wild dog. But if we're pursuing God, He has promised that if we pursue Him with all of our heart, we will find Him. And if we do that and we find Him, He will change us. And we will grow. Even me. I got evidence. I've grown a little bit. That's wonderful. And so all those things we talked about before, the nobility that we long for, the, the purpose, the meaning, all the stuff that we're longing for in life, we can experience today in this life. Not just when we get to heaven and get perfecto. But now, as flawed and screwed up and confused and hurting and depressed as we are. <laughs> so here, here's, here's the word for the day. What is the most important thing in your life? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you for the chance to share with your people. It's such a privilege. It's such an honor. And it's a privilege and an honor just to be able to see how you're working among us. We're trying. Drew and Daryl and the elders are really putting forth good effort and People have been tithing and things are better and new people are coming. It's really good. God, I pray that as we continue to grow and develop, that you should, would guide us in the way we should go because we're so caught and picked and confused, even the best of us. We don't know nothing. And help us, Lord. Help us to understand what it means to be with you and how to do that so that we can stand in your presence and the light burn away the darkness of our heart. And we leave the dark places of our life and we run into the light. Honored and glorifying you. Privileged to be your kids. Proud to be alive and a part of the things you're doing. Lord, that's my prayer for our church. In your name I pray.